God, we thank you today for your word. We thank you for the, the written word that we have before us today that uh, fills us with hope, tells us the story of who you are, God, and Lord, gives us hope and strength and gives us a guide on how to treat others, how to talk to you, how to have a relationship with you, oh God. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, I gave you the quick version of this story as we almost ran out of time, or we did. But uh, let me tell you this story of Orville Rogers. And the end of the point last week was, I'll give when versus I'll give now. And if there's ever a wrong time to give, the time is never wrong. Um, And we're going to kind of tail off that a little bit today. But we need to change our mindsets for I'll give when I have enough to give versus I'll just start giving now. And we read from 2 Corinthians 8, 11, uh, and uh, we read this last week. It says, now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched by your giving now. Give in proportion to what you have. And that's from the New Living Translation. And so let me tell you this story that I want to share with you about Orville Rogers. Maybe you looked him up this past week. But Orville Rogers was born in 1917. When he was six years old, his father abandoned his family and he didn't grow up with much. He developed two passions while he was a teenager. One of those passions was for Jesus because he became a follower of Jesus and was passionate about his faith. And the other one, which I can relate to, of course, is his passion for aviation and for airplanes. He saw Charles Lindbergh cross the Atlantic and was passionate about all things aviation. Uh, I can relate to that because I'm also a pilot in my dreams. Jesus and airplanes, he's got my attention. When Orville got to college, he went to the college at the University of Oklahoma and got a degree in engineering where he learned how to fly airplanes while he was in college. When he graduated, he signed up for seminary because he thought, I want to give myself a lifetime of service to the Lord because of his passion for Jesus. But before he could make it to to seminary, if you know the year 1917, not too long after, he was called to serve the United States military in World War II. But he had a unique opportunity and responsibility during the war of training and teaching people how to fly bombers. So during World War II, he was teaching pilots that were flying the bombers in that war. After World War II, he started flying himself the B-36 bomber, which was a nuclear-capable bomber. I don't know, that would be a pretty intense job to be a pilot of that aircraft and have that responsibility of carrying nuclear warhead on board with you. Don't crash the plane, please. Uh, And the intensity of that job meant that he was always on call just in case a nuclear war broke out. When he left the military, he went to work for Braniff Airlines as a commercial airline pilot. He had a long career of 32 years as a commercial airline pilot, flying some really cool planes that they had way back then. Some of you might remember them. When he turned 50, he read a book about health and inspired him to become a runner at 50 years old. See, honey, when I turn 50, I can start running with you. How does that sound? (laughs) If I can make it that far. So he started picking up running, and through the rest of his life, he ran a total of, are you ready, 42,000 miles. Forget the proclaimers who would walk 1,000 miles, or run 1,000 miles. He ran 42,000. At the age of 90, he started to compete in races. I have never been an athlete. I've never enjoyed competing in anything athletic. So maybe once I'm 90, honey, I will compete then. How does that sound to you? 
At the age of 99, he became a world champion in the 60-meter dash, beating out the 92-year-old he was running with. He came 0.05 seconds ahead of him. The guy that lost said, I should have leaned in, you know. People attribute it to his experience since I am younger at only 92. Orville Rogers actually also had another passion in his life, and it was his passion for Jesus. He also had a passion for Bible translation. He wasn't a translator himself, but he was a pilot, and he was passionate about people having the Bible in their own language. He was blessed that he had it in English himself, but was devastated by the fact that so many more were without the hope of the word of God. And so he began to fly airplanes from the U.S. and move them over into positions in mission fields so that people could, fl so that people could fly missionaries into remote areas where they could learn the language and get to meet with tribes and the people that spoke different languages to learn the language and learn how to translate the Bible into other languages. And so he did this for decades and did some crazy things like fly single-engine airplanes over the Pacific Ocean to get them all the way over to the Southeast Asia. And he just gave and gave and gave and gave from time, of himself, his time, and his money. And he gave of his, what we call, treasure. He began to fund some of these airplanes, and he began purchasing and contributed generously to Bible translation and to his church and to very other, various other Christian causes that he was passionate about. There were so many remarkable things about Orville Rogers, but the number one thing I think that's probably most inspiring is that in the 40 years that he worked for both the military and for Braniff Airlines as a commercial airline pilot, the total of all of his wages, all of those salaries over 40 years was $1.5 million. Now, if someone handed you $1.5 million, you would probably think that's a lot of money. But over 40 years, it really wasn't that much. If you do the math, it's only about, about 40000 which was roughly a modest salary. They don't get paid as much back then as they maybe do now as an airline pilot. But over the course of his lifetime, and you might remember this by last week, by the time he was 101 years old, he had given over $35 million away. Someone say, wow. <laughs> so, I don't want to be like Orville Rogers so that I can have $35 million because, you know, I'm a good investor or anything like that. But I want to be like him because he got to fly airplanes. Sure, he got to do some cool things, but he was a passionate person, a person that was focused, a person that had purpose and knew exactly who he was and what he was called to do. And he always kept growing. No matter how old he got, he kept learning new things. I still can't imagine picking up running at 50 after not doing it at all regularly. I'm sure one day I will, maybe. If my wife kicks me hard enough. But I want to be like Orville Rogers because he didn't wait till he grew up to start giving. He started giving right away. He lived his life with abundance and generosity. He got married early on in his life and they began to tithe to their local church and they gave just 10%, which was just giving back to God, it was already his. And then as time would go on, Maybe they'd save a little bit more. They realized, hey, we could actually live on a little bit less, which means we can give a little bit more. 
And they began to see God's blessing in their lives as they began to give a little bit more and live on a little bit less and give a little bit more and live on a little bit less. And they got to be generous and help all kinds of people and organizations around them. And they got to learn how to invest and, and understand a little bit more of the markets. He got really good at that. Again, just kept this process of ongoing learning in, in different areas of his life. And was able to save a little bit more, give a little bit more, save a little bit more, give a little bit more, live on a little bit less, and give a little bit more. And so the couple things that we learned from Orville, one is that it's never too early to begin and it's never too late to start. It's never too early to, to begin and it's never too late to start. We move from not enough to more than enough. And we understand that we're managing God's resources, not our own. And so that's the story that I, I wanted to leave us with last week. And it kind of springs us into this week's message about how generosity changed my life. You know, Acts 2.35 says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Those are the words of Jesus himself. Someone say more blessed. Mm-hmm. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now generosity sitting over here on this side of the wall right close to Patrick and Rachel, who are incredibly generous with, with who they are as people. And we have on this side of the room right over here the word change. And today we're going to combine two of our core values in our message this morning. Because we believe that Jesus demonstrated generosity and he, he, he also demonstrated change. He came to bring change to the way the world works. Now generosity, we believe in it at North Shore Church. One, because it reflects who we are. We have, uh, we know that we exist to serve this community, which means it requires us to be generous if you want to serve people in our community. And we have a pretty good record of serving people in our community. And so we put it on the wall, not as something that we can aspire to become, although it does inspire us. It's actually a reflection of who we are already. North Shore Church over the years, long before I was around, has been a generous church. You can ask Rebecca if we have lots of money in the bank and she will tell you. But God always provides and always makes a way for us to be generous. <laughs> Shouldn't laugh, it's not that funny. Absolutely they are. It's good. So one, it's on the wall because we're generous. Two, we're generous because Jesus was generous. In fact, he gave his entire life. He gave everything that he was. He stepped down from heaven, the highest place in the universe. And he stepped down to become one of us and gave himself up for us. And so we obviously as a church follow Jesus, follow his teaching, follow his example. And if Jesus was generous and willing to give, then we should also be generous Two and three, generosity is our core value because we want to be blessed as a church. And if you want to be blessed, then start being generous. Now, I said another word on the wall here, another value is, of course, change. And we know that everyone is welcome always, hence the word belong on the wall over here. Every background, every race, every gender, every age, you are welcome at North Shore Church. And you know what? You're welcome at North Shore Church even if you don't believe what we believe. 
And God takes us just as we are, no matter who we are, no matter where we come from, no matter our background, no matter our age, and no matter our beliefs, God will take us just as we are. But I am thankful today that I am not the same person I once was, that God actually changed my heart and changed my mind, and he opened it up to see the beauty in his creation and the people around me. And so change is an important part of who we are too. And so what happens, we're going to combine them together this morning. Because I believe that generosity, someone say generosity, can change your life. Generosity can change your life. If you're online, write that in the comment section today. Generosity can change your life. And if you head to Proverbs chapter 3, 9 to 10, I put it in my notes here. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. For those of you that like wine, just pay attention to this verse. If you don't like wine, too bad. You'll have lots anyway. If you take it as a literal translation, that's what happens. Of course, there's a farming analogy here, which we can dive into another time. But honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. So, coming back to this principle of Orville Rogers, you can give later, because it's never too late to start, or you can start with the right attitude and start giving early on in your life. No matter how much or how little you have, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. We're going to get to that in a second. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Take the very first fruit. Now, the first fruit is the first crop that grows. Now, I don't know if you've ever relied on farming as much as they did not even not that long ago, even 150 years ago, it's not quite as crucial as it is. I mean, it's obviously crucial today. But we don't need farms. We have grocery stores now, right? Isn't that how it works? No one laughed at that joke. I don't believe that. Okay. Sorry. Not time for a joke. But imagine this, all right? So Costas gets their delivery truck, which it didn't come in last Monday, by the way. We, didn't even, we almost didn't get pepperoni for our pizza on Friday night because the truck didn't come in. I don't believe it. But just imagine, the truck for Costa shows up, and they pull it in the back, and the first 10% off the truck goes right to the, food, the North Shore Harvest food cupboard. Just, just imagine, this is, this is the very practical example. And Costas goes, all right, we're going to give that first 10%. We could sell that and make money, but instead we're going to give the 10% of the truck straight to the food bank. That's, that's essentially the principle of tithing. And we're going to sell the 90%, and that'll be our business. That's essentially what's happening. Now... Imagine there's 10 trucks coming over a period of days. One truck, good math lesson for today, if you don't know your math. So imagine this. Monday, truck comes in. It's the first of 10 trucks coming that week. They give that entire truck away to the food bank. Bad weather comes. They don't know what's going to happen. Maybe the road's going to close. Maybe the Nipigon Bridge is going to fail again. And the truck can't get through. All of these possibilities exist. But Costas is guaranteed that that truck is going to the food bank no matter what because we've got 10 more coming. That's an incredible amount of trust to believe that nine more trucks are coming to bring Terrace Bay and Scriber food in Rossport and everyone else. It's a lot of faith to put into those drivers, into the highway conditions, into the road conditions that, yes, the rest of the food is on its way. It's coming. This is the exact principle of tithing. They would say, bring the Lord the first fruits, 10% of your crop the first of the field to come in. You've waited all winter 
Your family is, might even be hungry at this point. I can't remember the verse in the Bible now, but there's, there's a verse about reaping, weeping in the sowing. And you can find it and tell me where it is later. And basically, Carving is hungry, and you know, boy reaches into the pantry, pulls out a bag of seeds, and says, Dad, look, I found more food for us to eat. And he says, no, son, we have to save that for the springtime to plant. Because if we don't save that, we won't have anything to plant, which means next year we won't have anything to eat at all. And we're just going to prolong our death until then. Actual reality of the situation. And so he says, we're going to starve a little bit now, and we're going to trust that this crop is going to grow, and these are the seeds that we're going to plant. Anyway, this is the principle of tithing. and saying, God, I'm going to give you the first of what I have. 10% first fruit. And I'm going to trust that the remaining 90% is going to come and it's going to be enough. And I'm also going to trust and believe because God blesses those who are generous that it's going to be not just enough, it's going to be more than enough. It's going to be more than enough. So Proverbs, the book of wisdom. If you don't like reading the Bible, start reading the Proverbs. Read one chapter a day. There's 31 Proverbs. You get one for every day. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crop. The next part's the best part because then it says your barns will be filled to what? Overflowing. God says when you're generous, you're building his kingdom and he says, I will take care of you in an overflowing, flowing fashion. How generosity changed my life. Here's a couple things, a couple results I wanna give to you today before we go. Here's a couple of things that happen when we're generous. The first thing is this, we get, experience, we get to experience extreme and radical peace. We do. Because generosity towards God is a sign of trust and it's a sign of relationship. I am certain there must be at least one person in our life that we would give absolutely everything for. We would sell everything if it meant saving that person's life. I'm sure that there's at least, if you don't have that person in your life, come to church more often and build some good relationships with people. Because we have to have people in our lives that we're worth dying for. So just put that in the bank for some other time. But a lack of relationship with God often and usually equals a lack of peace in our lives. Just think of a country song, right? Country song comes on the radio, what happens? Oh, my wife left me, my dog ran away, I don't have my truck anymore, or electric truck drove itself away. You know, all of these things happen, right? That's the country song. This is their, you know, we, we mock it, but it is, it is truly the example of so many realistic lives, right? Apart from, from God, there's incredible amounts of heartache and you lose everything. All oh, my money's gone, my wife's gone, my truck's gone, my dog ran away, all these things. Do you know what happens if you play the song backwards? You get your pickup truck back, your wife back, and your money back. Just the reality of this country music. But I'm not saying following Jesus and a relationship with God makes life easy. In fact, it may even get harder at times. But as demonstrated through scripture, so many times in the middle of storms, in the middle of heartache, in the middle of stress, in the middle of anxiety, when we take a minute and we trust God, we can be at peace. In a minute, we're going to close. Elizabeth's going to come and she's going to play a song, Peace Be Still. So where does generosity, how does that bring peace? Well, look at the average 20-something today. Graduate of college, university, 
30, 40, 50 plus thousands of dollars worth of debt, can't get a job in their field, put yourselves in these shoes. I mean, there's a great opportunity to work now, but even a year ago, maybe not. Thousands of dollars worth of debt, minimum low paying job, maybe no car, maybe a car payment or whatever, incredible amounts of debt, amounts of stress. And then you say to that person, oh, just read Malachi chapter three, verse 10. Let's read that this morning. This is just read Malachi. You're having a hard time with debt. Read this. He says this, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store in it. That could sound like a pretty good get-rich-quick kind of scheme. But imagine a person who does not have any money at all is actually in the negative, in the zero, and you say, okay, you have this minimum wage job. Maybe you get $100 a week. Let's go with a day. That's whatever. Say you get a hundred bucks. And you say to that person, all right, I understand that you got a student loan to pay off. You got food you got to put on the table. You got to pay for rent somehow. I want you to give $10. Put that in the offering plate. That's a really big step of faith. But believe it or not, that generosity, that step of faith brings peace. You know, there's no shame with living in mom and dad's basement if you have to. And if they don't have a basement and you're in the crawl space, I'm sorry. But how do you think they handle it when we read this verse? There's no shame in eating beans and rice. There's no shame in, in, in sleeping on a friend's couch to, to make ends meet. There's no shame in doing what you got to do to get by. But you have to start somewhere and start by giving this 10% of your gross income to God. Let's help people take these practical steps. Put it in the budget. Well, hey, Gary, that's a really hard to do. It's really hard to give 10 bucks because that's, that's meal at Subway. That's, that's an extra couple of things from Costa's to throw in the grocery bag for food this week. That $10 goes a long way. You know, when you have a little to start with, it's really hard to give. Let me tell you a little bit of a secret, though. 10% is 10%, no matter how much you have or don't have. And the more you have, the harder it is to give it away. Because at 10% of 100 bucks, you say, okay, that's 10 bucks, that's my Subway lunch, fine, I can give that up. I'll go hungry that day. I'll pray and fast over lunch break. No big deal. You start making $100,000 a year, and you give $10,000 away, that's a little bit harder than giving $10 away. It's still 10%. And so if you don't start when you have a little, you're not gonna start when you have a lot. Because giving a lot is just a lot harder to give away. And if you think of the story I told last week, it's because we feel like it's ours. If you wanna just feel like you're spending someone else's money, then give 10% because it's God's anyway, and you literally are spending someone else's money. Think about the fact that you spend God's money on everything else that you spend money on, it changes perspective. But generosity brings us peace because it's about trusting God with what we have. And when we trust God, it's trusting God to say, hey, no matter what, I know I'm gonna be okay. I may not wear a Rolex, I may not have a private jet, whatever the case may be, it's not about all of those things. It's just material things anyway, they'll go away. But I'd rather have peace than millions of dollars in the bank any day. 
I'd rather live my life with joy and not worry about where my next meal is going to come from, knowing that I'm honoring God with what he's given me. Generosity is not about how much you have. It's about trusting God with what you do have. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Generosity brings us purpose and it brings us joy. I know it's really fun to give money away to people. So a few years ago, we did a rental project here at the church and we had the old pews and we sold them, I think, fairly reasonable price. And, you know, we were in the middle of fundraising, comes in from the sale of those pews, we'll put towards the purchase of our chairs. And we said, no, we're, we're asking people to be generous towards us as a church. In return, we should be generous as well. And so we, every, every pew that we sold, we saved that money and we sold them all. We took all that money and we gave it to the, I think it was the food bank. And um, I think I actually said to Rebecca, I said, why don't you deliver the check and you tell them that we're giving them this money. I said, you get to experience the joy of giving away the money as the bookkeeper. Because Rebecca just gets to pay bills all the time. So why doesn't doesn't she just take the joy and go, I mean, like as the pastor, I could have done it, right? Put on the hat, the tie, hey guys, here you go, enjoy. And that, you know, I could have experienced that moment. But, you know, we let Rebecca have some joy in her miserable job of bookkeeping. (laughs) And if you read 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 4, which is last week, and you read 2 Corinthians 8, 4 from the message, this is what the last of it says. The other giving simply flowed out of the purposes of which God was working in their lives. So talking about the context again, the church in Macedonia says to Paul, hey, we want to give you a bunch of money. We want to be generous. And Paul says, you're dirt poor, you have nothing. You have nothing to give, Macedonia. And they decide to give anyway, and out of their generosity, all this money comes in, and they start to bless. And, and Paul says to the Corinthian church, hey, be like the Macedonians. Have a heart like the Macedonians, and give away what is already mine. And I said, I know the practical side is, is that generosity inspires generosity. And so maybe the Macedonians didn't end up as millionaires, but they gave, and they gave, and they gave anyway, and inspired other people to give. And all this money kind of came out of nowhere. Now, I don't think God's got a printing press somewhere. And maybe if you are in desperate need and you give towards God, and maybe, just maybe, you'll find, you know, a bunch of bills in your wallet one day, or you'll check your bank account and there'll be free money in there. God can do that. I don't expect that will happen, but you will be taken care of one way or the other. Sometimes God works that way. It's, it's part of the miracle of it. I'm not telling you that's going to happen. There's some pastors that will tell you if you give right now, the phones are ringing, 807-825-9368, giving at the North Shore Dodger. You give right now and God will bless you and he'll fill your bank account. People do that all the time. I can't stand it. It drives me nuts. It's awful. It's it's horrible. If you see that on TV, change the channel. Like seriously. It just drives me absolutely crazy. That's not what the kingdom of God is about. Now, people are really good at doing a giving talk. Go for it. That's fine. I'm okay with people asking for money. That's different. And I do believe that God blesses you when you give. Don't get me wrong. But to manipulate people, just drive me up the wall. Absolutely crazy. I'm going to try it sometime just so I can have something to repent of later. Finally, my wife hasn't started playing the piano yet, so I'm going to keep talking. (laughs) The final thing that being generous does, the way that it changes our life, is it brings us closer to God. It actually builds our relationship with God. Just imagine, if you, if you gave someone, say you had $100,000, and you gave me $10,000, you're probably going to want to be close and check in on how I'm using that, 
gift, right? He's like, Gary just went to Disney World again. That's where he went. That's, yeah. And he didn't take me with him. Come on. But your heart becomes tied to your generosity, and you become invested in that project. Right? And so I mean, we talk with pastors all the time, and one of the first questions, you know, they say, I've been dealing with this really difficult family in my church, and different, difficult people, because people get difficult. I don't know if you know this. People can be difficult sometimes. People like to use money for all sorts of things. And anyways, these, and so you hear all the time all these, these conversations. And uh, I remember talking to a good family friend of ours. They were having some difficulties in their church. And, uh, you know, they just, they weren't involved the way they used to be and everything else. We just, you know, I just flat out asked them. Actually, it was kind of an awkward moment. But I said, um, well, do you still give? Do you still tithe to the church? And this is, this is when I was like in high school. So it was pretty bold of me to ask this question. And he looked me right in the eyes and he says, no, I stopped giving a long time ago. I said, well, you're not invested anymore. I said, no wonder you feel like things are falling apart because the part that's missing is you. You You're not fulfilling your purpose, so you're not having joy in doing what you're called to do. You're not being who God made you to be, and you're not doing what God has called you to do. You're missing out on the best part. And the church is missing out, and the community is missing out because you are not invested in this anymore. And in fact, it's now put a, a block between you and God. Because now you're not being obedient to God as well. And he had some legitimate concerns and everything else, but his heart wasn't in what he was doing anymore. He's wondering why things are falling apart. Now, don't get me wrong. You may, you may give to God and your life may fall apart too, but you'll have peace in the middle of it, I guarantee it. Um, how generosity changed my life, you'll have to come back next week and find out. But I know that I've been blessed beyond measure through the generosity of people. I am who I am today because people gave generously to me and my family. We didn't have a lot growing up, but man, wise I and ever incredibly blessed. I went to a private Christian school for a number of years in our church, which cost money because it wasn't funded by the government. My mom was a single mom, not the best paying job in the world. I have no idea how she afforded to put me through private Christian school other than the blessing of God. Like, it's incredible. So generosity changed my life. You can play the piano now, honey, and I'll stop talking and we can sing this song together. The song is called Peace Be Still. And so generosity changes us. It brings us peace. It brings us purpose. It brings us joy. And it brings us closer to God. Let's uh, stand as we sing this together and then we'll pray.